A lot of people are watching along with us. Things are going to be taken a lot further. It does keep the flow really, really nicely, which makes it a show that was really ahead of its time. Where's that petrified eyeball at now? Who's had it last? Macy is amazing, and she doesn't care about what other people think about her. Don't you feel like maybe Dodie represents the instinctive animal ugly part of us? I might have just been having a bad day when I gave it the mat. I killed Caprice, Priest, Priest. We don't say Moses, we say me. Someone once told me the grass is much greener on the other side. Hello and welcome back to We're In Between, the podcast that discusses an episode of As Told by Ginger once a week, every week. This week we've got Lunatic Lake for you guys. It was the 29th episode of the show. It aired on April 14th, 2002. It was written by Eric Casimiro. And in this episode, Macy and Ginger are nervous about vacationing with Dodie's family to Loon Lake because they feel that Mrs. Bishop is a little intense. Carl and Hoodsy plan to make a movie based on an escaped mental patient that is believed to be hiding in the Loon Lake area. When they sneak out of the cabin in the middle of the night, Joanne and the girls go looking for them, only to run into the real lunatic. So, one of the rare episodes where we have sort of the A and B plot happening in the same location the entire time. This episode was also nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Program Less Than One Hour in 2002. So right before we discuss about today's episode, we have a lot of comments to read uh, from uh, the various episodes. So uh, we're going to start things off with with Trouble in Gal Pal Land. And uh, we're going to start off with the We're in Between forums. So let's kick it off with a comment from uh, this time. Actually, it's Heart Lover 1717. I, I kept saying 1717, uh, so I completely apologize for that. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that either, huh? Yeah, so apologies for that. Okay, and she said, uh, Thinking about this episode, I'm trying to remember if I would have had the strength of character to stand up to someone like Miranda at that age. One thing's for certain, there would have been no tolerance for a middle-of-the-night, I-can't-sleep call, even from folks I liked. So the girls, under the guise of feeling sorry for the suddenly friendless Miranda, had a plan to call the shots and push her around. She won't know what to do without Courtney. She'll be as docile as a lamb. But they don't do any of that. Darren and Lois both call Ginger out on it, with Ginger being in denial, who, after finally building the courage to tell Miranda off, becomes terrified at the thought of their arrangement becoming permanent. And Miranda orders her to get a pager. Thankfully, that didn't come to pass, since Courtney and Miranda are entirely co dependent. It was very fun watching the boys wallow in luxury. Poor Blake, they're finally in his world and they still don't include him. Funny how Mrs. Grippling needs to drive every time Winston becomes hysterical with grief and she's lousy at it. I would have that exact same no tolerance policy for no calls in the middle of the night and I'm kind of glad we're moving away from like the landline phone era of this show and earlier where if someone calls you it's just gonna ring and it's gonna be loud whereas now if you don't have a landline you can just silence that baby and you won't get any calls asking you to read uh read fish magazines um, in the middle of the night yeah pretty much (laughs) okay uh i'm gonna go over to the youtube channel and we have one from codebox 42 
And he says, when you guys were describing the Carlin Hoodsy side plot being your preferred choice of plot, it actually does feel a lot more weight compared to before. What I mean is, is in season two, their plots become a lot more open, and I feel like they've improved on them more than season one. We already have two this season that are the best of the show so far, and I feel they do get better later, actually. Uh, we have one from TV Mania 2. And this person says, I hate Miranda, but she has some really funny one-liners in this episode that made me really enjoy the episode, including, I never really hated you, just disliked you intensely. That's a big difference. And when she was trying to say something nice, she said, your bedroom isn't nearly as lame as I thought it would be. Phew, I'm never doing that again. Then there's also the part where she whipped Ginger her ponytail. Another Miranda Squidward comparison in the episode was Macy saying that Miranda was the only person who could make the clarinet sound bitter. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, commented on this one. I thought that was such a funny comparison. I'd never thought of Miranda as the Squidward of this show, but she absolutely is. Yeah, it's exactly. All right, next one is sibling okay. revelry. And um, one, okay, we have another comment from Heartlever1717, and this person says, Incredibly, after Carl ruins the school septic system, he's not suspended. He's not in charge as a juvenile or put on probation slash community service. His mom is not fined and the school remains open. A public building would be would not be allowed to operate without proper facilities. This always bugs me in this episode, and the rest is a mess, just like you said. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, we have one from Esmeralda to Diamond, and uh, she says, I'm from Sweden, and they go so easy on the kids in the school. They don't have any kind of punishment like detention, and I never heard of this program until I saw the show. I think that the concept sounds good, but overall, this episode is a bit boring. It's not one of my favorites. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it wasn't exactly a standout for me either. But, you know, I do like that we sort of get, uh, we'll often get different takeaways from listeners that we had on the show. So it, I think the comments of the, the YouTube episodes are really helpful and important for us to uh, think about our perspective because we can end up just agreeing with each other a lot, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, and speaking of uh, speaking of which... Um, <laughs> So apparently, a lot of uh, uh, some people, including Frosty Chama, really liked when I reacted to when George was saying to Carl that he wasn't going to leave. And I said, seriously, dude, the program is over. Piss off. And they actually want to use it as an audio clip for season three. How do you, uh, if with your permission, Patricia, I'm happy to put that in. I think it's awesome. I mean, <laughs> sure, why not? It's it's, it's going to be really interesting. I'll just let you know because, I mean, usually my clips involve with, you know, talking, you know, genuinely with the episodes or with the character. But me being angry, it's like, okay, that'd be fun. Kind and, of a uh, rare moment, yeah. And uh, going back into Frosty Chama, he actually laughed about... Um, you know, when we were talking about, like, what kind of parties do you go to after graduating from college? We were talking about, like, the lodge clubs and the cheese and wine parties. And he, and he says, side note, cheese and wine goes great with we're in between. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, me too. Next <laughs> I mean, time. recording while we're listening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe uh, maybe sometime that, you know, we ever have a chance to sit down together, like if we meet up in person, we should maybe get some Gorgonzola and Chevre with a bottle of Pinot Grigio and just sit down and re- listen to ourselves talk. Totally. <laughs> 
I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. So going into losing Nana Bishop, and we have a we've had a lot of comments regarding losing Nana Bishop. Let's start off with the word in between forums, and this is a pretty long one, but every single word of it is well worth it. So. We have one from Celeste, a.k.a. Cellrock, and just like Casey and Ashley, she's also seen as told by Ginger for the very first time, and she's been following along with us uh, week by week, and uh, this is what she says. Hello, my name is Celeste, but you can call me Cellrock or Celeste. Either one is fine. I've been checking out on the Where in Between podcast each and every week, and it's been a great way to learn about us told by Ginger and help me get into the series. However, it's taken me until now to finally get an account and post onto the forum, so here I am. What inspired me to finally get into the account? Uh, the latest episode that you reviewed, Goodbye Nana Bishop, or Losing Nana Bishop. The episode felt really close home to me, not just when looking at how I related to one single character, but how I related to Macy um, during Comeback Little Seal Girl, given how how we are both naive and young at heart, or given the recent situation in my family, that I felt a little bit closer when watching Hello Stranger, worrying that my nephew might sadly go through how Ginger felt because his parents, aka my brother and now ex-sister-in-law, have been separated since he was two and a half and have officially finalized the divorce just a few weeks ago. However, losing Nana Bishop is concern. I related to a couple of the characters, in particular Hoodsy and Ginger. I want to point out that I was never close to my extended family, given the fact that most of my mom's family lives in Louisiana, which I moved away at a young age. Most of my dad's family lives in Missouri, which I only visited once or twice in my young age. I now live in Massachusetts and previously lived in Oklahoma. Uh, let's just say that getting to know my extended family, as in grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, have been a hasn't exactly been a real treat when I go to visit my relatives or when they come to visit me. Granted, the bulk of my grandparents passed away before I was born, except for my paternal grandfather, who died when I was at a young age of four, not having any memories of him. Both of my aunts are deceased by the time of this post, but the one that really hit home for me when watching this episode and listening to your podcast was the death of my cousin, Little James. He died in late January of 2003 at the age of 11, when going through complications that arose in a Po, um, in a heart transplant surgery as he was born with a defective heart and he was finally moved up to the list to have the transplant done. Well, as, well, I was sad that he will never get to experience teenagehood and adulthood plus he left behind his parents and four younger siblings. What, heart, what hit hard for me was the aspect of how Ginger felt in this episode which... Uh, at the time, I started talking to my relatives more on the weekends and growing close to them. Just seeing how their day was allowed me to feel more connected, and now I have Facebook. I love that despite my cousins and myself being miles apart, when one of them likes my latest status, it brings a smile to my face, just knowing that I want to know my family better. Um, it shows that we either have something in common or agree to the point I was making, giving us an even closer bond relationship-wise. Now to Hoodsy's perspective. Um, how he felt disconnected emotionally when his grandmother passed away, and in a way awkward because he wasn't close to his grandmother, as the rest of his family was. I totally know how he feels. One of my aunts died, died the following year in 2004, and while I was sad that she passed away, and not just with her death, but with most death that I witnessed, other than the loss of my cat Joey, a hair over a year now, I felt similarly to how Hoodsy felt and not feeling nearly as sad as the loss of everyone else around me because my relationship with the person in question wasn't as close as everyone else. 
I often felt awkward when I attended funerals or wakes, unsure of how to act or what to say. However, just as Hoodsy realized how much he missed his grandmother when he talked about her in the funeral, it took me much, much longer to realize how much I would miss my aunt who'd passed away. Uh, there we go. From mid to late 2004 until about six months later in March 2005 when I got to perform at the All States Chorus and we had our performance at the Symphony Hall in Boston, Massachusetts late one night after rehearsals before a concert the following day which fell on my uncle's birthday and the uncle by marriage who married my recently deceased aunt. I learned from my mom that she and her sisters were always singing in choirs whether at my church or at school and my aunt Anne was in particular dedicated to her singing. She would have been so proud of me making it to the All-State Chorus and getting to sing at Symphony Hall the senior year of high school. I wanted to pick up my cell phone and give her a call telling her about everything that I've been going through. And that's when it hit me hard. She was dead. I couldn't tell her. I believed I cried a good long time that night and I might have cried myself to sleep. I can't remember now if I did or not, but that moment hit me hard that I really missed my aunt and I was sorry that she wasn't alive. So far, the, pr the show presented itself with so many things I was able to relate to. When it comes to the subject of death, this one can be hard to come by, and it felt nice that once I could relate to two of the characters in this particular episode, the title character and one of the side characters. I look forward to seeing what else this series has in store as we go along, in particular more Macy-centric episodes, because I... I do believe she's probably one of my favorite characters. Thank you for taking the time for reading my comment, and I look forward to more episodes of Where in Between in the future. And Patricia, Casey, and Ashley, I agree with you. I give Losing Nana Bishop a super yay. Wow, yeah. Thank you, Celeste, for uh, your your comments. You're one of our most active listeners on Where in Between and on FNN, so we really appreciate the amount of thought and effort that you put into that post. That was really uh, interesting to read. Absolutely. So going over to the um, Old Schooling YouTube channel, uh, we have one from Animation Meh. And this person, and she says, This episode was a super yay for me as well. I watched this episode over and over, not knowing the concept of death in this family until a few months back. One day when I was leaving the bus shuttle and my mother picked me up from school, which is odd because she rarely picks me up at school, she told me, she took me home and she told me that my grandfather died. I never knew my grandfather that well, although I remember sitting on his lap when I was younger once. I felt like Hoodsy for a little while until we head to the funeral where I bursted into tears. It just hurts me not knowing him because he was always sick at the hospital. Till this day, I still kind of regret it. Yeah, clearly this episode strikes a chord with a lot of people, myself included, and uh, we really appreciate you guys sharing your very personal stories on here. We love... We love hearing from you guys yeah uh just one more from this one so we have um magical peach internet and uh this person says i reviewed this episode for my channel last year to reflect to reflect my feelings about my aunt passing now that my own nana passed away this year this episodes resonate with me a lot uh, on a closer level Dodie and patricia were my spirit animals in this episode thank you very much for that magical peach internet really do appreciate it <laughs> All right, so yeah, that's it for uh, losing Nana Bishop. Uh, for those, if we didn't read off your comments, then uh, don't worry because um, um, we really did read all of your comments, and we really do appreciate you guys sharing your story about how much this episode meant a lot to you. All right, last but certainly not least, uh, we we have our Friday the Thirteenth episode, uh, TGIF. 
We have one from Joshua Moore who says, It's a decent episode, not one of my favorites, but it was relatable enough because like Ginger, I encountered problems when I was younger of how embarrassing my family can be, and I still do as an adult. Uh, we have another comment from HeartLover1717, and she says, Another takeaway is that our public and private selves are different. Curl and Ho- Hoodsy and Carl are BFFs, but remember how Hoodsy asked Carl to take his shoes off if he was busy with his evening routine and finishing homework and looking forward to watching TV with his dad. Uh, Carl, growing up with a one full-time, hard-working parent, was unfamiliar with this type of family bonding and or cooperative family effort. He was just as bored at the bishops as Ginger was at the Griplings. Also, Ginger is fortunate that Ma, that Lois is a huge, has a huge measure of patience and understanding. Even though she's reacting like a normal teen, not many mothers would have tolerated her rude attitude or allowed her to stay elsewhere as they were trying to figure things out. Lois truly knows her daughter after all. I really like how they both apologize to each other. It's hard enough for Ginger as she's figuring out who she is. And Lois gets that just because she is un- she is comfortable and confident doesn't mean that Ginger is there yet. I appreciate that Lois never plays the because I'm your mother, that's why card. You know, I this is one of my favorite comments in our history of the show. I especially love the paragraph about the public versus private self with Hood's Dean Carl, which is such a common thing for uh, especially boys that age, but certainly for everybody that we have sort of the person we want people to see us as and who we actually are when we're either at home with our family or uh, or whatever. Yes, absolutely. And finally, we have our uh, last comment of this episode, and it's from Norbert, and he says, Hey, Patricia, Casey, and Ashley, let's talk about TGIF. It was a decent episode, nothing spectacular, but still amusing to watch. I especially love how Carl loves Friday the 13th and wants to get bad luck. Typical Carl, I can definitely see why Friday the thir- the 13th is his favorite epi- uh, holiday, considering his Christmas wish was, uh, it never came true, at least until an even Stephen Holiday special, though I feel like Halloween should be a second because I can see Carl loving candy and wanting to get get it for free from neighbors, but I digress. The Fowleys hit hard, get hit hard in this episode. Their entire house is closed due to a mold breaking loose. Yikes. At least they get on the news and they get to ride to school with the Griplings and Ginger gets to go to their house. So I guess Carl's right. Bad luck can lead up to good luck. Speaking of which, Casey, Ashley, keep your eye on Buzz. He'll be coming back a couple of times on the show. As a matter of fact, his next appearance is only two episodes away. And also, one more thing is that uh, basically he he promoted a game uh, in honor of the Nicktoons 26th anniversary. And uh, it's on Sporkle.com slash games slash pocketbook rocks slash Nicktoons characters. Basically, it's one of those games in which you get to... Um, you know, see if you can type in and identify as much Nicktoon characters as you can at a certain time limit. If you're interested, you can check out the forums or you can follow him on Twitter at snorbertd one If you uh, want to share your score with him, then please send him a screenshot. And uh, yeah, that's all he has to say. So yeah, once again, thank you so yeah. much for all of your wonderful comments, everybody. Uh, this one, uh, this month in particular, we've had a lot of genuine, heartfelt and thoughtful comments. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And uh, Norbert, I will be taking your quiz today. I'll send you a, a tweet soon. 
All right. Well, that is it, everybody. Uh, tune in next month as we'll be reading more of your uh, comments about the four episodes we'll be discussing about this month. So until then, enjoy the rest of the episode. And with us, we have Eric Malinsky, who was a storyboard artist, one of three on this episode. So that's super exciting. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, I guess we can get things started. So the episode begins with Macy giving a presentation about Crazy Floyd, the lunatic who had recently escaped from a mental institution. And he is currently in an unknown location. He's currently in unknown whereabouts in Loon Lake. And Ms. Zorsky is asking about why is Macy making a report about this? And she says, well, the reason why is because we're going to Loon Lake. And this focuses on what happened. This this actually is focusing on my real experiences. And Ms. Zorsky looks at the newspaper and says, Macy, this isn't a newspaper. This is a tabloid. This probably isn't as real as the two-headed alien baby. And then Macy's like, oh, that wasn't true. And yeah, we have Macy actually believing in it, which, you know, it's to be expected from Macy because she's so naive and pure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um I guess uh, the next thing uh, that we can focus on is that we have Carlin Hoodsy carrying around a camera and their subject is Blake and they want to make a home movie uh slash documentary about Blake because their his their next subject is survival of the fittest. Is he gonna be able to survive out into the wilderness? And Blake tells him that he's gonna go to Loon Lake and he's gonna survive on his own for forty eight hours. And um, you know, Carl and Hoosie want to take this as an advantage point so they can be able to impersonate as the lunatic so they can scare him out for their home movie. Yeah, I will say, generally speaking, I had very high hopes for this one when I saw the Emmy nomination. I shouldn't have looked at that before I watched the episode, but it absolutely lived up to that. So I was really happy to see um, this was already definitely a favorite of mine. I, uh, as the listeners know, have not watched the show all the way through. Patricia has, so I'm sort of having it revealed to me episode by episode, and I thought this was a really significant sort of mid-season check-in on all of the various characters we've been dealing with for uh, the last 29 episodes now. Mm. I remember the, um, no, I wasn't in the recording session, but I remember hearing that the actress who played Dodie's mother was a little concerned that her character was so one note. Um, mm. and she was wondering if she could add more nuance to it. And I, uh, I remember hearing, this is just people were telling me how the discussions went and they just said, you know, this is, this, this is very much about a kid's point of view. You know, when you're a kid, sometimes you have some teacher or some parent that you're just, you just think are mean, you know, and maybe years later as an adult, you realize, oh, they're going through personal issues or whatever, but your child's perspective is you're scared of this teacher, you're scared of this parent, and they really wanted to kind of capture that point of view. But then at the end, I actually, I added, I mean, just skip ahead, I added that little bit where she uh, she gives um, Hoodsy a hug, uh, just to, I felt like, because I remember hearing that story, and I thought, well, at least I could humanize her a little bit in the way we animate. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great compromise because there there are parents just like Joanne Bishop. I, she's a little caricature-y, but I think we all knew somebody like her growing up. And But it was also nice to remind us that, you know, she is still a complicated human being just like all of the other characters on the show. Yeah, and deep down there's concern. She's, you know, worried about her son who's, you know, who's <laughs> alone in the woods. <laughs> right, and yeah, not without reason. And she's a little hesitant to be thrilled about Carl Foutley, which is, again, not without reason. 
Yeah, so throughout the series, at this point in time, Joanne and Carl haven't exactly gotten along. You know, because if you remember from Sleep On It, Carl was the one responsible for scaring away Joanne's book club when he released the rotten eggs. Then we had... Um, you know, in uh, Losing Nana Bishop, where, you know, they bought the shackles and the iron mask and Hoodsy ended up wearing the iron mask to their grandmother's funeral. And, you know, of course, with uh, Deja Who, when Hoodsy got amnesia, uh, Joanne wanted to st- wanted uh, Hoodsy to stay far away from Carl as possible, wanted him for being friends with Brandon. So, yeah, we see that when Hoodsy, sug- uh, when Hoodsy begs his mom for him to come over to the vacation at Loon Lake, she absolutely refuses. She says, absolutely not. Carl is a bad influence on you. And then we have, um, you know, Hoodsy's father coming along and says, oh, let the boy come, Joanne. You know, what's more, what's one more mouth to feed gonna hurt? And then, uh, you know, she says, I'll tell you what, that one boy is Carl Foutley. And yeah, I mean, I, I get it that Carl is a bit of a troublemaker at times, but yeah, I mean, in this episode, this is like her most over the top acting with her being really hateful for Carl. And, uh, and then of course we'll talk a little bit more later about the trip, but yeah. Um, so eventually, um, she gets, she, she gets convinced to let Carl come to the trip and then she has that look of, she immediately regrets it. And so now Carl is going to be coming along for the trip so that they can be able to scare off Blake. And then we have the girls who are not excited to be going to this trip because they know about how eccentric and how extreme that Joanne can be. And Lois gives off great advice as usual, saying that, you know, be there for your friend Dodie. Yeah, I also I've always loved Lois's Boston accent too. I mean, being from <laughs> being from Boston originally, and you know, working in LA, I know the show was supposed to take place in Connecticut, and they they would they would try to to make it New England centric. And I remember this was a this was a decision the actress made on her own. She came up with the backstory for Lois. She's like, well, I, I've decided she's like a working class, you know, from working class Boston, and you know, they're like class is something we talked about a lot behind the scenes too, in terms of the idea that Ginger comes from a working class family and that of course plays out it plays out on the show in terms of the story but we would think about it too in terms of design macy's parents being a bit more professional Dodie being more middle class um and you know so yeah it's it's interesting the way we and of course courtney being on the top of the echelon there um but it's something we thought about and and we put it into the drawings and we put into everything a lot yeah, and of course, um, you know, um, when Macy asks um, Miss, uh, Mrs. Foutley, he's like, why can't moms be more like you, Miss F? And then she says, because there's not enough spandex in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, such a good line. She's got a lot of good kind of comedy zingers in this episode. Like, as they're pulling away on the way to Loon, Loon Lake, um, Dodie, I believe it is, says, uh, wish you were coming with us, Mrs. Foutley, and she's smiling, waving to them, and she goes, I'd sooner pull my teeth out with a wrench. <laughs> Cracked me up. Cracked and she's smiling up. in a way that you can see all of her teeth, like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, another one that she says right before, you know, we go over to the trip, when she's watching the news report about, um, you know, f- uh, Crazy Floyd, and then she's, uh, then she, at the end of this, she says, you know, put that in a jumpsuit and you have Joanne Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
yeah. all right so yeah can we talk about this tri- okay let's let's talk about the trip like the drive and you know with her being incredibly like itsy with you know um going over to a different road because the police blocked it and then having the boys having to go onto the, um, a bathroom break and you know uh throughout this entire thing she's constantly complaining and saying like i need to pay attention to the road don't speak to me don't say loud words and stuff like that so yeah i mean she is like really intense in this episode probably more so than we've ever seen at this point in time yeah i mean i think the big joke was that she was the monster i mean that was always what we were building towards was that you know it wasn't crazy floyd it was her that was from the perspective of the kids that's why we made her get more and more kind of disheveled in the way that we drew her and the, the point of view with the flashlight under her face i mean get i'm jumping ahead but it's definitely something that we were kind of building towards the idea that she's the monster from the kids point of view for sure and I, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I'm always here for Mr. Bishop. He just, something about him cracks me up. I think it's partially how, what a pushover he is, and partially just how much he looks like Hoodsy. Yeah. You know, by the way, that family that walks by when they're at the clam jack or the clam place, that like albino, <laughs> albino looking family, mm-hmm. that was actually a mistake. Do <laughs> 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 tell. They were supposed to be, I think in the script it said it was this perfect blonde family. Like, it's that feeling like when you're on a trip and you see this family that looks absolutely perfect and you're like, oh, my family's a disaster. Why don't I have a family right. like that one? But, you know, the way it would work then is we would draw them, we would draw the storyboards and you sh- and, and then you would do the colors and everything and you ship it to Korea and it would come back like three or four months later and it was always like a crapshoot What whether they got anything wrong. I mean, I, I did a Rugrats once where I made these war. I was drawing a worm too big that Phil and Lil were, were fighting over, and it came back from Korea and was the size of a snake, and every the whole crew laughed at me. But anyway, they came back and they they they, they looked like this like an albino family, and they were walking in this very strange way, and everyone just started laughing. And I remember the the executive producer was like, "Keep it, keep it!" And I'm like that's so weird and freaky. Like, don't because you know we would send a lot of things back to be fixed, so that's not what we intended. But at that point, they're just like, "That's so funny. We have to keep it as it is." Oh, that's great. Yeah, that that does beg the question for me. How much of a feedback loop was there between writing and animation? Like, would you guys just send things back and forth until you agreed, or how did that work? I know, the scripts were completely done. Um, (laughs) In fact, when we would get the script, uh, we would also get, I'm really dating myself, we'd get a cassette tape um, (laughs) of the actors, and you would just, you read, you know, you knew what your section was, and you were, you'd be coordinated with the other two storyboard artists, and you'd be working all under the same director. It was always, because there are two commercial breaks, it was always three board artists, artists uh each of you takes one of the sections between the commercial breaks um and so i was very excited that they 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 cast me basically to do that the the third section but um and then you listen to that cassette tape over and over again and when i was just listening to the episode earlier i was just thinking like even though we probably made that episode in 2001 because it took a long time to put together so there's no question that i was probably working on that episode a year before it came out I mean, given how long ago that was, every line of dialogue to me, it's like buried deep into my brain. Right, right. Even the even the parts that weren't 
you know, the section I storyboarded. I mean, I knew every intonation. It's just weird. Like, it's almost like when you hear some song you used to love and right before the lyric comes on, something in your head is like, I know exactly what the singer's about to say. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that, that's how it would work. And then you would pitch it. You would do sketches, like little thumbnail sketches. And you would then, um, you know, you'd be with the executive producer and the director and you'd kind of pitch your section uh, to them. And you'd be like, okay, so this is there. We have like a shot from like behind the tree and then the camera's going to zoom in. And then you sort of like, you kind of excitedly pitch out your sequence from just a kind right. of cinematic point of view. And then they give you a lot of notes. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and then you spend the next, like, four weeks just executing it because, I mean, now they have these um, animation discs that are digitized, so you can kind of, like, take a Wacom tablet. You would pick up, like, a, you know, from the character sheet, the character, plop it in there, twist, you know, change it how you want. But we had to draw everything from scratch, and I could even sometimes recognize different storyboard artists when I see the finished cartoon because I remember we all drew them a little differently. Now, let me ask you, Eric, do you still have some of the storyboards from all the shows that you did? Not all of them, but th- those are, I'm looking at them right now on my shelf. Oh, I wow. Uh, you, you, ha- you definitely have to send us pictures. I would love to put it up for everybody to see on the forums. Sure. If, if you're willing. Yeah, yeah if you're no, willing, it's, fine. I mean, it's, it's property of Klasky Chupa, which doesn't, I don't even know if they exist anymore. Um, and uh, it's, well, I mean, they're Xeroxes, they're not originals. But I Xeroxed all my boards for nostalgia's sake. And there's only sure, a couple yeah. of them that I kept that were my favorites. And this was uh, one of them. It's Yeah, it's on my top shelf up there. Wow, that's that's so cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, when, it, when, it, when you give me the picture for the storyboards that you did for Lunatic Lake, I'll definitely share it on the forums. Okay, and I remember, in fact, when I pitched Lunatic Lake, I played Stravinsky's Firebird <laughs> for, for dramatic effect. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so while the, um, the boys are using the bathroom, they're taking advantage of, you know, so they can be able to get shots for their documentary. So, you know, they, Carl puts on the mask and, you know, he's scaring, you know, people who are driving behind the cars. And uh, he, they go over to the clam restaurant and uh, he picks up a bucket of clam, uh, fried clams for Joanne. And, uh, you know, she starts slowly warming up to Carl saying like, oh, maybe he's not a bad kid after all because I love fried clams. And so then she starts eating them. Um, and she offers to everybody, but they don't want to eat it, and except for Hoodie, because uh, you know why not? And so then, when they finally reach over to the cabin, uh, the girls start looking around, and they see uh, the lake, and they see the mountains, and Jody starts telling stories like, "Oh, you know, this was where I first saw the snapping turtle. This is where I broke my arm when I was three. Uh, this is where the um, the trees are for collecting the sap." So. Yeah, she's having a great time showing her friends about all the places that she loves to go to. And then we have Joanne, who's incredibly stressed. She's saying, like, I'm a one-woman, you know, chef over here. I'm the one who's making all these sandwiches. And you're off, you know, doing all these traveling and whatever. You know, go and help me out and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, while they're helping setting up the table, Ginger has in her mind that, oh, I'm in deep down inside. I'm not having a good time because Joanne has not made us feel welcome, especially with Carl. And it becomes apparent because this is when she gets sick from food poisoning from the fried clams. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, that night, uh, Carl and Hoodie decide to sneak out and they're going to go try to find Blake so they can, you know, scare him away. And what they ended up is that they find a skunk and they get chased up into a tree and they're not moving from their position. And they're thinking that they're in a bit they're in a bad situation because now they're stuck. 
um, Joanne is definitely going to freak out and, um, you know, they, they're pretty much just, the skunk is just not moving whatsoever. And then eventually Joanne does find this out and she becomes incredibly angry regarding Carl and Ginger has to defend Carl saying that, you know, he's not rotten, Mrs. Bishop. Um, you know, he has a good side. You just have to give him a chance, which I think that this is definitely much more in, in character for Ginger as opposed to uh, the episode that we talked about, Sibling Revelry, in which, you know, she wanted to keep her, um, uh, you know, her her club with the Big Brother Big Sister program, and she was willing to sacrifice even Carl's unhappiness so that the club can stay going. So I think that this is definitely more in character. Yeah, you know, let me ask you guys a question, because I remember the time, too, they did some uh, audience research with the kids who were really into the show, and they found that, you know, in the same way that Carl and Ginger are living in these, like, parallel worlds, uh, the kids were, too, and a lot of the girls just didn't even understand why Carl and Hoodsy were on the show. Like, they felt like this would be such a better show if there was no Carl and Hoodsy, <laughs> and some of the guys were like, I, some of the boys were like, I like Carl and Hoodsy, but why are they stuck in this girl show? And it was kind of a weird, I think the, the network was in a little bit of a strange pickle in that sense because they they knew how to market so clearly the um, you know what the other shows were about um, but that's the thing that we loved about the show was that especially when you have a boy who is Carl supposed to be like 10 or something yeah, 11, in, in and this, then, yeah in this season Carl is 10 years old yeah and she's what like 13 I mean that's like when you have a brother and sister at that such different ages of, of, of childhood development what is important to you is so radically different especially a boy and a girl and that's what we we loved, but um, I don't know. What did you, as 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 kids? I assume your kids when you watched this. What was your reaction to those two different worlds? I was fourteen when I saw mm-hmm. the show, and I can tell you that I liked both of them because. Um, I actually did an analysis video discussing about As Told by Ginger called Why As Told by Ginger was a groundbreaking yet overlooked Nicktoon. And I discussed about that the reason why the show was so great, in my opinion, was because it focused on two different perspectives. In a lot of slice of life cartoons, they always focus on one main character and their friends. And, you know, uh, with the exception of maybe Hey Arnold, in which it would focus on other characters, but that was more like the exception than the rule. A lot of the shows, you know, you have Doug, you have Lloyd in Space, you have maybe occasionally, like, you know, all these other shows. I mean, sure, you have, like, a group of friends, but then maybe some kids will be more focused than others. Uh, but with As Told by Ginger, you know, you have the two different perspectives. If if you don't like one of them, you can always go to the other one, which is uh, which I think is a great balance. You know, it's like you said, the boys like the Carlin Hoodsy plot, the girls like the Ginger plot. So, um... We even interviewed Melissa, um, you know, just a few minutes ago, and we were talking about how, um, you know, that it was the kind of show that a, a bunch of people can gather up together. We had this one guy who said that I liked watching the show with my mom and my grandmother. We can be able to watch the show together. So, yeah, it, it does actually bring in multiple people to come in together as opposed to, like, you know, a show that was like a, a Nicktoon at the time in which... Um, you know, it only focuses on one general audience. In fact, I even made that statement in my videos. Like, ever since Klasky Chupo created Rugrats, all the other shows that they created focus on one specific audience. Like, if you liked All Real Monsters, that means that most likely you were a, a, a boy who liked gross-out humor. If you liked Rocket Power, most likely you were a kid who liked skateboarding or snowboarding or, or surfing. If you liked the Wild Thornberries, most likely you were a person who liked animals and nature shows so yeah basically with as told by ginger i feel that um both boys and girls can be able to watch it and if they don't like one thing then they can always just stick to the other 
Yeah, theoretically, I mean, that should, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's exactly, you know, how I, <laughs> how, how I felt, how we all felt. It was a little frustrating for us, though, because we felt like this was such a great show we were putting together. It was never quite given the same kind of, um, attention and appreciation that we thought it kind of deserved because, because I think it, there was a sense of a lot of people didn't know what to do with it, unfortunately, or exactly. They, they didn't, not everybody, unfortunately, had that holistic approach to appreciating the show. And it, it saddens me because I think where that market research comes from is parents teaching kids gender norms to an extent that isn't helpful. To me, As Told by Ginger probably appeals more to young girls. I liked it growing up and I had friends who liked it growing up. I think that Nickelodeon often played it safe by always going with male protagonists for the vast majority of their shows. Ginger was a uh, uh, straying from that, and it was a, a risk, as was, you know, uh, Wild Thornberries, and I'm sure there are others. As of right now, there are only four or five Nicktoons that have female protagonists. There's Eliza Thornberry, Ginger Foutley, Jenny from My Life as a Teenage Robot. Right, who's a robot, yeah. Yeah, Bessie Higginbottom <laughs> from The Mighty Bee, and Cora from The Legend of Cora. That's it. Mm. Right. Out of like over 30 plus Nicktoons, only five of right. them have female protagonists. I never felt growing up like Carl and Hoodsy were out of place, to answer your initial question. It just felt like another part of the world. And, you know, I only had brothers as siblings, but you certainly, you don't have the same set of experiences as your siblings because you're at different ages at the same time. I liked that Bo- that Carl and Ginger are having radically different experiences while living in the same house and having a pretty impressive, like, communicative relationship. And I think that's thanks to, uh, to Lois, you know, that they're a great family and that kind of brings the show together. Yeah, and I just love the idea of, like, what is important to you at the age of 10 versus what is important to you at the age of 13. And there's always that moment when they look at each other and it's like, how can you think that's important? And the other one be like, how can you think that's important? And yet they realize that they need each other to solve their whatever problem it is. That's where I felt like the show is always at its best. Totally, and especially in an episode like this where they all are kind of stuck together on this trip. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and another thing to answer your question, Eric, about, you know, why the show didn't really catch on. Again, I mentioned in that video that As Told by Ginger was mostly dramatic. And at the same time, around the show, around the time that the, the, um, that the show was out, we had SpongeBob, we had the Fairly Odd Parents, we had uh, Chalk Zone and Danny Phantom and all these things. They were all comedic. All of these mm-hmm. shows that were out before As Told by Ginger and during the time have always been about making people laugh and, you know, focusing on gags and adult jokes. And I even knew some people, like, I was in high school when I saw the show, and everybody that I knew in high school was getting into Invader Zim because it felt like it was a show that they can connect to because it was for a more older audience. So, mm-hmm. um, for, you know, at the time that I knew about some people, they said that, oh, the reason why I don't like it is because why would I watch a show that I'm going... Uh, you know, of, of something that I'm going through right now, you know, it's like, I'm going to school, they're going to school. Why would I want to watch this? <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> I, I could see that. <laughs> um, I feel, I think at their age, I probably felt the same way. And sadly enough. Yeah. 
And, um, and you know, and, and of course, with our um, our listeners from the forums, you know, now a lot of them are appreciating us told by Ginger. They tell us a whole bunch of, you know, comments about the episodes and their favorite characters and their favorite moments. So it's like, um, you know, it's, it's like with the ever since the airings of all the uh, of the episodes on Nick Splat and, you know, even to some extent uh, when I did uh, As Told by Ginger Month almost two years ago and even this podcast is that As Told by Ginger is starting to, you know, bring the audience audience that they that you know was loving the show the first time and maybe even getting some new ones that's great yeah it's funny i mean i remember we would have discussions back then about you know we were all obsessed with our own things in our own childhood and we were talking about like you know these kids are going to grow up and they're going to actually uh probably appreciate this more and it's i'm going to be really curious i remember saying you know whatever you know back in 2001 and two i wonder when these kids grow up what they're going to create around these shows because we're we were at the time of course creating so much culture and things around the things that we grew up with so it's kind of funny to you know see that happen yeah and the more serious shows are i think more recognized not that hey arnold wasn't successful in its own right but the shows you know my co-host ashley and i do a podcast about nicktoons from our era growing up in general and hey arnold and as told by ginger are two of the ones that our listeners seem to respond to the most now yeah, and you know, we were in a totally different building. We were on um, Hollywood Boulevard in in Hollywood, which was kind of cool, and then Nickelodeon was in Burbank, and we had mm. nothing to do with them. I mean, it was practically, we knew that we were all on the same network, but it was like two totally different studios, which is kind wow. of... Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, so so I guess that, you know, with that, be you know, with you separating from Nickelodeon, that means that probably you had a little bit more creative freedom than probably all the other Nicktoons at that point. Yes. No, actually, I'm remembering now that you would particularly care, but I'm like, no, it was Sunset Boulevard. I remember, yeah, it was Sunset Boulevard, actually, I'm remembering. Um, yeah, no, we did. I mean, we were, we, you know, there was a lot of pride at the time that that Klasky Chupo was an independent studio that happened to have this relationship with Nickelodeon. Um, but but there was a strong, fierce sense of independence. And the fact that we were in L.A., I think that there was a sense that we were a little bit more grounded towards the city, towards kind of the you know, grittiness or edginess of everyday life, that, that area has become much more fancy now than it was back then. Um, back then it was still kind of coming back from, from the bad old days. Um, and, uh, you know, and Burbank was, you know, it felt very much like this gigantic outdoor mall. So, you know, I think we were kind of proud that we were just a teeny bit more anchored in the grittiness of, you know, of the city. All right. That sounds really interesting, Eric. Nice. All right. Uh, so continuing on with the episode. So yes. now that now that Joanne found out that Carl and Hoodsy are missing, uh, she decides to um, you know go along with uh, Ginger Dodie and Macy to find Carl and Hoodsy, even though that she's sick in her stomach, she's not feeling really well, and she even has like these beady eyes. I guess this is the part where you started storyboarding because this is like the third of the episode. Yes. Yes. Anyway, so yeah, we have these beady eyes from Joanne when she shines the flashlight in her face and she said, Listen up, Deidre Hortense. This is what separates me from your father. Your father's packing and I'm out there going to look for, you know, um, your brother and that spawn of demon, Carl Foutley. And so then she goes over to the cabin and she sees the bloodhound and she knocks on the door and lo and behold, it's Crazy Floyd. And, yeah, he is, like, 
walking around like a dog he's barking and then joanne has like absolutely no clue about it because i I take it that she didn't watch the news reports or even listen to it on the radio because she wants everything quiet so she pays the man the money so that they can be able to borrow the bloodhound and she starts looking around with the you know finding carlin hoodsy and it seems like the bloodhound has absolutely no idea where it where she's going because she's dragging joanne all over the place and more that we see of her she's covered in mud Mm. Although we do have, I, I mean, she does give the sh- uh, one of their shirts to the bloodhound for the bloodhound to. I think it's like Hoodsy's shirt that that the bloodhound smells. Oh, okay. That was my my my. I think I think we added that in <laughs> for, for logic's sake. But I remember as I watched it just earlier, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I, I had her. I had the dog smell the uh, the sweatshirt. Right. Um, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but the, my biggest takeaway and kind of shocking moment to this episode, similar to when. Maud comes back as a ghost the sort of oh they went there moment um the lunatic is real he exists and he's really out there i thought that was so interesting yeah I, that was another thing that we were just like wow are we really doing this like <laughs> we're really having an actual like right. scary lunatic i mean you know and we were just told to just go all out i mean you know this, right. or is it, they'll make this a horror movie and it's even set up like macy realizing like uh so she's reading this tabloid in class and i forget maybe it's doty someone explains to her that tabloids just make stuff up all the time and she goes oh the mockery and kind of throws it on the ground uh but so it's sort of set up like oh he might not really be there and then there lo and behold yeah it's funny too because you know we the other thing we would do is we would you know we would storyboard it and you would kind of time it out but then the you would then give it to um, animation timers who would add all sorts of little flares, like when his um, the pupils suddenly like shake back and forth in his eyes. Like that was something that the animation timers added that I was uh, very. I was like, oh, that's hysterical. I didn't even think about that. I just have a big close up on him. Um, but having him walk on all fours that was really fun to draw. Yeah, so um, then we go over to where Blake is at, and he is scared out of his mind when Joanne points the flashlight and saying, where are they? And he's like frightened. He's like, no, please don't hurt me. And he's like, I don't, I'm not looking for you. I'm looking for the others. And then he just runs away crying and screaming. <laughs> She's going completely insane. She's probably, I mean, it's, it's even a debate on who's more insane, her or the lunatic. Oh, yeah. And we had a lot of fun, too, with the idea of, I mean, you know, one thing that, that we, we took from, I mean, the Rugrats kind of established the Klasky Chupo style to some extent, which is like put the camera anywhere, you know, put it inside. I mean, we have it, at, well, I think earlier it's inside the clam bucket. That is a brilliant bit of storyboarding. I forget if that was Tron or Max who did who did that section. But, um, you know, or, you know, you put it inside the mouth of, that was a, the classic one was inside the mouth of one of the Rugrats was a classic, you know, kind of thing to do. But, you know, for this one, too, I, I remember I enjoyed the idea of cutting to the wide shot and having them like walk across Scooby Doo style, like just you know, just like flat walking across the screen and going from that, you know. So like you cut out to see the absurdity of it, and then you have like sort of Blake's point of view where you have this extreme, you know, difference of perspective with the dog's face is filling up like half the screen, and she's standing <laughs> behind there. So I remember, I remember playing with that a lot to sort of when you should be freaked out or disturbed versus when you should be laughing at what's going on. 
Yeah. Uh, Casey, I want to know your take on um, how Dodie was acting in this episode, because I know a lot of our followers are going to be asking this question. So, yeah, apparently, you know, uh, even with Ginger in this episode, she talks about like, oh, Dodie's giving a whole bunch of excuses for her mom's attitude. And then when they're looking for Carl and Hoodsy in the woods, she even says, oh, it would have been so much better if we didn't bring your brother along. So it's like, man, you know, not only is Hoodsy missing, but Carl is missing as well. And, you know, they could be in severe danger. And, you know, it would have been nice if maybe Dodie was a little bit more sympathetic. Right. Okay, well, here's... I'm always, I guess, a Dodie apologist. (laughs) So take that with a grain of salt. But how I feel... Okay, first of all, they have this conversation where Dodie is basically explaining to Ginger in the car. And the conversation is pretty much, here's how you talk to my mom. Or it might be before the car ride. I'm getting it a little mixed up, but they have this conversation, and I think that's so real, that when you're a kid, you sort of have to coach your friends on how to interact with your family when you're in a confined space with them for a while. So that all made sense. You know, I think most of Dodie's quirks are explained by her family, and especially by her mom. I don't think she's the greatest friend in the world in this episode, but at the same time, Carl did get Hoodsy into trouble. At the end of the day, this is kind of on Carl, right? Yeah, it is kind of on Carl because we see that Hoodsy is remotely not interested in doing it. I mean, we even see, like, when they reach over to the cabin, he's like, uh, Carl, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we can reenact it. And he's like, no, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Let's go out and scare Blake. It's like, yeah, so all of this is Carl's fault. Yeah, I think it also, though, it's a, another thing, too, is very true when you're a kid is that you, you, you know, um, I mean, it's like the, the old saying about, like, you know, you can call my, you know, fill the name of, you know, I can call my parent, sister, brother, whatever, you know, an idiot, but don't you dare do it, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And I think that's where Dodie has this kind of, kind of tribal allegiance to her family, even though she knows that, you know, Ginger's in the right in many of these cases. I think that. Dodie's really struggling, and I, I, you know, I'm kind of on Team Dodie there, too. Uh-huh. And, like, and yeah, Ginger has this great quote in her diary later where she says, Even though I knew Carl was guilty of stuff, I knew I had to defend him. Maybe, th- maybe that's why Dodie was making so many excuses for her mom. I think that captures exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah, um, so I guess we can start wrapping things up. So eventually, Dodie apologizes to Ginger about what she said, and Ginger accepts the apology, and they become friends again. And of course, Macy has to be amazing as always when she finds the, the sap all over the buckets and said, hey, we should open up a pancake house. Yeah. And then, of course, <laughs> then they find, um, you know, Carlin Hoodsy trapped in the tree, and Joanne is like really, really angry at this point. And so while, you know, she demands for them to come down, then crazy Floyd comes down and says, Okay, you've had her long enough. Where's Princess Esmeralda? And then she says, Oh, yeah, your dog. I'm sorry. Yeah, he she, she chased the skunk. It's like, you let a princess wander around these woods? And then he starts barking, and then they find out, Oh, man, it's the lunatic. And so Macy grabs the sap and throws it into Joanne covering all over her yeah it's funny i remember even in my drawings i think i made it even more horror movie looking i remember when it came back i was disappointed i was like well i don't know i know what i expected but i was like really drawing it like a horror movie i thought it totally works though for what for what it's supposed to be and 
and we and yeah we, and then like i said i added that extra part where um although looking at it again i was like jesus i had hootsie drop down like the entire tree <laughs> i was like I <laughs> like he literally just drops the tree i'm like he would have broken his ankles like i should have had him at least swing or something carl's but, toughened him up he's so <laughs> exactly he has super yeah. strong ankles <laughs> <laughs> and uh but that that little hug moment um that yeah. was uh, yeah that was uh, i remember when i did that like the the uh ep and the director were just like yeah that's i get it like why that that totally works it was just simple enough to not be heavy-handed exactly yeah and oh and i love the last beat of this episode it just warmed my heart uh mama foutley giving her all in this movie <laughs> that she's acting for car because they're you know completing their film uh in a a reduced set you know they're in their backyard but she is committing to this uh scene and carl keep he's such a perfectionist that he just i really identified with carl as a kid his like weird sort of perfectionism of just needing to get everything right and her getting so frustrated with him i just love that whole moment that's funny really you identify with carl as a kid i i was not a troublemaker in any way but i identified with his like passion and his weird side projects that change by the week. That was very much what I was into. Um, I always loved his vocabulary, too. I mean, I feel like he's he has this reputation <laughs> as being a troublemaker, but he is a smart kid. We love on the podcast, we call it when they go full capitalist a couple times in the show, when they, uh, they, they're good little entrepreneurs. <laughs> Yeah, and it could have been so easy for Carl to be a troublemaker and have no depth whatsoever. But yeah, we have Carl, and not only is he a, sort of a troublemaker, but he, you know he has he has his heart in the right place, and what he's doing, it's either for the benefit of others, or he wants to be able to make it big out there. Which, if you're a kid, you know, you want to be able to, you know, try to see if you can make it out into the world, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, I guess that um, that should be the end of this episode. So yeah, once again, when you were talking earlier about uh, that the episode was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Program in less than half an hour, I found out what episode uh, won the Emmy, and that was the Futurama episode Roswell that ends well. Oh, uh, it's so good. Yeah, it's, which one? Which one was that? That was the episode in which Fry the, uh, goes back in time to 1947, and he meets up with his grandma, and he accidentally kills his grandfather, and he and he right. and it just ends up being incredibly convoluted with him ending up being his own grandfather. Right, right. and that's what they're going to die. They they announced to Zoidberg they're going to dissect him, and they he, and they describe how horribly they're going to do it. He's like, oh boy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they it's a great moment of continuity for the show. They go for one of his hearts, and he goes, take. <laughs> I have four. And then, and then, like, two seasons later, they're doing some sort of surgery on him, and he only has three hearts. Oh, nice. Because they took his fourth one. Yeah, we all had continuity supervisors. I mean, there were people who their entire job on the show was just to, like, notice that kind of stuff. And they're on every kind. They're on every show. Right. Well, we talk about a lot. We love the continuity of As Told by Ginger with, like, Ginger's police record gets brought up a lot. You know, that petrified eyeball is always in the works. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Jim Duffy, who is uh, one, of the, uh, one of the producers at Klasky who was overseeing a lot of the shows, He that was a big deal for him, especially with Rocket Power, but, but um, with a lot of the other... Like, Rocket Power, there was a map of the whole town. I mean, he just wow. he felt like he, he wanted you to have this sense that this was a real place 
place you could go to and how far away are these you know these like like to really ground it in a very physical world was was incredibly important to him and even when we do those crazy perspectives you know they would always he would drill it into us to make sure that at least like the distances between the characters was was realistic as even as much as we're stretching the perspectives and we we discuss like do the kids even notice the kind of thing and he'd be like no 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 they do they will even if they don't know it they'll feel it yeah, for I mean, we sure, even talked about sure. uh, a few weeks ago when we talked about losing Nana Bishop about how just a small detail like the squirrels. If you watch Never Can Say Goodbye, you see a squirrel enter in from the roof and you see the, the squirrel disappear. And then you realize there was a whole bunch of squirrels that were in the attic and it just led up to that thing. So it's like even something minute would lead up to something uh, like would, would lead up to a big uh, payoff at the end. Well, remember the character of Noelle who comes up much later? Uh-huh. Um, uh, she. Well, uh, we don't want to say anything spoilery <laughs> because Casey hasn't seen the show in its entirety. Okay, well, there's a character. I will, I will say I've seen that character before. Yes, you have. So that character, uh, we we would get incidentals, um, you know, for classrooms and stuff like that. And uh, that, that, you know, the character designers would, would draw. And that particular character, people thought was so funny, like just the character itself. And that we would, mm-hmm. the storyboard artists, it became like a running thing of where else could you put that character. And I forget what her name, she was like, I think for a while we only knew her as like number 67 or whatever. And then it was like, a, and, and then the writers started learning that we were doing that and then they they suddenly made her this major character and that was like a that was kind of a cool thing it's just because we all like the design of that character so much yeah and it's just so crazy to think that emily herself was the voice of it right right that's right. I remember, yeah, that was funny. I remember when that was announced. It was, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for our discussion of this episode. So, Eric, at the end of every episode, we always give a ranking of yay, nay, or meh. And since uh, you did work on this episode as a storyboard artist, and you even told me that this was your personal favorite, I assume you're going to give it a yay. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Um, what about you, Casey? You know, I'm probably overusing them at this point, but this one has earned it. This one is going to be a super yay from me. I think it's my fifth or sixth, but certainly one of the top episodes of the show and a standout in my book. Yeah, the only thing is, I, I my favorite, because, you know, the other fun thing about being a storyboarder is that you get to do the acting for the characters, you know, and you really, right. and you don't really think about it, but there's a lot of acting involved, especially I had a lot of fun with Carl and Hoodsy in the tree, in, in terms of um, the part where, where Hoodsy's like, oh, oh. <laughs> like that was so much fun to draw that um uh-huh. and uh but i gotta say courtney was always my favorite character to draw in terms of the acting and that was a one really? regret with his episodes i didn't get to do any courtney drawings uh because i always loved i always loved playing up her kind of innocence right and that's sort of very poised and like she's very naive but also a little bit knows what she's doing you know yeah, because initially she was just the rich girl that, you know, whatever, uh, the rich popular girl. But, um, you know, I like the nuances we started adding to her after a while. She was really fun. That voice actress was fantastic. Too. Oh, yeah. We're- We've heard yeah. a lot of stories yeah. about Liz, and we're hoping soon we can get her as a guest on the show. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and as for me, I really did enjoy this episode. I'm going to have to give it a, a yay as well. And you know what? In my personal opinion, I, even though I wasn't really too crazy about I Spy a Witch, in, in a sense, I kind of wish this would have been the Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. 
you know, because it does, it, I mean, it does have that, it, like you were saying, Eric, it does that, it has that horror aesthetic, you know, in the woods, you know, feeling something like Friday the 13th or something or Blair Witch Project in which they're wandering in the woods. And yeah, I do kind of feel that creepy atmosphere and it's just so surreal to see a lunatic appear in an episode of a show that's mostly grounded in real life i mean sure joanne can be a little bit irritating at points but you know when you have somebody as irritating as her being dropped off in the middle of nowhere especially with her being responsible for taking care of a bunch of kids and especially one that she can't stand and yeah i mean i kind of don't blame her for that especially when she gets really sick from the food poisoning from the clams so uh, and, and, and of course, you know, we have some great moments with the other characters as well. It does. And of course, you know, as mentioned before in our podcast episodes, we always love the episodes in which both of the plots pull together as one as opposed to being separated. So, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it a yay as well. So, yeah, so that's it for this uh, week's episode of We're In Between. So, yes, Eric, thank you so much for joining on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you for having me on. So, yeah. Uh, do you have anything to plug or self-promote? Where can people find you at? Yeah, so I left animation a long time ago. Um, uh, I mean, I liked it. I, I, I just felt, I, I, in the end, I just felt like I, I was more kind of verbal and more, you know, interested in, in writing than I was drawing. So anyway, I moved, I ended up going into public radio, and now I have a podcast uh, called Imaginary Worlds, which is on the Panoply Network. It's about sci-fi and other fantasy genres, and it sort of takes cool. a, sci- a um, public radio-style approach to those different genres. And in every other week, there's sort of like about a 25 to 30-minute episode. All right, that sounds awesome. great. So, yeah, I'll definitely leave all the links in the description box below for everybody to check out. Cool. All right, so, yeah, that is it for this episode of War in Between. Uh, tune in next week as we're going to be reaching the halfway point of the series, talking about episode wow. 30. Yeah, that's crazy. We've been doing this podcast for six months, and now we've reached the halfway mark. Yeah, so um, tune in next week as we talk about episode 30. Hope to see you around soon, and thank you for listening. Hey.